welcome to the Yoga Focus podcast. I'm Laura Gellner, a yoga therapist, occupational therapist, and the owner of Focused Wellness Therapeutics. I provide one-on-one yoga therapy sessions, small group therapeutic yoga, and online education for yoga teachers that is rooted in science. For more information, check out my website, laurageyoga.com. Hi, yogis. I'm Laura. Welcome back to Deep Dive into Yoga. We're talking about this PDF document that I created to help yoga students understand how they can deepen their practice both on and off their mat. And if you haven't already downloaded the PDF so that you can follow along, go over to my website, Laura Yoga, and you can download this for free. So in this video, we're going to be talking about a really super brief history of yoga. Just a couple things that I want to kind of bring to your attention right now, and I will give you some resources that you can look at to to gain a better overall scope of how yoga has changed throughout the years and how it was brought to the Western world and how that has also changed the way that it is presented. So when we go back as far as we can in the record, things get a little bit confusing. Um, When we go back, uh, you always hear this term um, 5,000 years, like yoga is 5,000 years old. 5,000 years ago, we really didn't have a strong written record. There wasn't a lot of documentation about things. Most of the information was passed down orally from teacher to student. The sage, the mystic, the person with the wisdom would gather a group of people and tell them what they knew. They would share their knowledge with them. And that was how information was passed down for quite a long time before things started being written down. So the times that things happened are not really solid. You'll see all sorts of different numbers when you look things up, depending on the source that you're using. But one of the important milestones was when Patanjali, or the person who was thought to be Patanjali, that's also a debated topic, um, but someone wrote down the Yoga Sutras, which are a collection of very short phrases that have a nugget of wisdom within each of them. And they're written in Sanskrit, so we need to have somebody translate them for us unless you are fluent in Sanskrit. And really, when you pick up a book of the Yoga Sutras, most of the bulk of that book is the translation. And a lot of people like to study the translation from Swami Sachidananda, which is someone that I studied with when I was at Yogaville. His translation of the Yoga Sutras is really regarded as a um, commonly studied one, especially in yoga teacher trainings. So that was the process where a lot of the the oral teachings were actually written down and kind of structured. And this is where we get the basic framework for the eight-limbed path. He starts to outline the different components that come together for the eight-limbed path. So the next kind of key part is the Hatha Yoga Pradapika, and this is where yoga postures get discussed a little bit more. Now, I mean a little bit because there were 16 postures in the Hatha Yoga Pradapika 
versus the number of postures. Now I couldn't even count how many different yoga postures there are. So that's a, that's a modern addition. And I think it's important early on in the practice to realize that a lot of the postures that we look at and we're like, oh, well, downward dog and warrior two and all these kind of things, those were later on in the practice of yoga, much more modern addition to these um, postures that were originally discussed, which were mostly seated postures used for meditation and concentration. So very interesting if you want to look that up. Um, then the other thing that is really important in this context is that in ancient India, there was this tradition that was being passed down and then the world started to change and there were a lot of outside influences that came in. We know the, um, British occupation of India for a long period of time had a huge impact on yoga, um, the way that it was practiced within yoga, but also the way that it ended up being shared outside of yoga was impacted by the British occupation. And at the same time, the physical culture of gymnastics and calisthenics from both Britain and Russia was starting to kind of travel more around the world. And that also started to have an impact on the way that yoga was shared and the way that yoga was practiced. So changes that happened because of what was going within going on within the world. Um, the next landmark that I want to kind of talk about is when yoga came to the West, when Swami Vivekananda came to the U.S. in 1893 and was sharing yoga in the context of um, spirituality and as something that would help with spiritual development. But it was when the Maharishi was working with the Beatles and became the spiritual guide to the Beatles. And um, the Beatles, of course, were a worldwide phenomenon at that point, had a really big influence on the counterculture. So kind of like shifting away from what was happening in the kind of modern world at that point in the 60s. There was so much going on at that point. So um, the Beatles really made spirituality and meditation. They were doing like a, a combination of transcendental meditation and some yoga as something that they shared with people who were interested in their music. So that had a, a huge ripple effect in terms of people at that period of time becoming interested in meditation, becoming interested in yoga, um, people who were looking for teachers at that point. Um, and then I kind of skipped over this point right here, but I just wanted to let you know about a couple gurus. I don't have enough space in here to add all of the different names of the teachers that came in, but Swami Sivananda and um, Swami Krishnamacharya are two names that you'll hear regularly as some of the original teachers who brought yoga to the West and um, had an influence on the way that we practice yoga today. Okay, so those were just a couple very brief highlights of what I wanted you to be aware of right now. And I want to show you two different things down here. All right, so I'm going to click on the first link to show you this interesting concept about yoga as, there we go, having kind of three different phases historically. So the original phase was the phase of yoga lineage. And we've talked about lineage as something where the information was passed from the teacher 
to the student very directly. Like you had your teacher and you were studying directly with them, the guru, and that's how you gained your information about yoga, about practice. They gave you very specific guidance. So one of the things that happened and one of the things that we will talk about in the other text that I put together, Light and Shadow in Yoga, is that within this kind of lineage, there, especially recently, have been a lot of things that have come to light about abuse and misuse of power and some really negative aspects to the limitations within the lineage style of yoga. And a lot of the big name teachers that have been influential in passing down modern yoga were actually doing things that were completely contrasted with what they were teaching behind closed doors. So there, that was one reason of several that there was this shift toward the post-lineage yoga. And that was kind of when um, it was not so connected directly from student to teacher. There were um, yoga groups more of creating a sangha, a group of like-minded people practicing their spirituality and um, part of that yoga counterculture that I talked about in terms of the historical context of people in pop culture practicing yoga, practicing meditation. So it gained this broader awareness and somewhat broke away from the guru-student relationship. And then we take another step forward to the aspect of yoga where it has become very much a commodity and um, a business, a huge industry, billions of dollars a year spent on classes and mats and pants and props and all the different things that come from modern yoga and kind of come along with modern yoga. The commercial brands, the um, copywriting of different things, and even the use of therapeutic yoga. And this is a hard one for me because I am a yoga therapist and I understand the thinking and the logic here that Therapeutic yoga is kind of taking this thing that was a spiritual practice and commodifying it to become a healthcare practice. And that's something I think about a lot and put great consideration into. Um, but it's important to be aware of kind of these three different phases that yoga has gone through in terms of how it is passed from um, teacher to student and where we stand within that. Um, and it's interesting to see that the post-lineage yoga, the, the middle circle here, kind of overlaps with yoga lineage, the older format and commodified yoga in the more modern format, kind of straddles these two areas of yoga and how it is shared. So something very interesting to think about and to be aware of, because that is a very big topic in terms of the commercialization of yoga, the commodification of yoga. Now I'm going to step over to the other resource that I've put at the bottom here for you, which is this, oh, wrong one. This other timeline. So I found this a while ago when I was working with a student and they were talking about the different texts and the different teachers and kind of confused about the timeline of yoga as a whole. So here you can see, this is beautifully color coded, 
Um, you have the pre-Vedic period, the Vedic period, classical, pre-classical, and then modern, right? So um, I'll point out a couple of the important things, the Upanishads here, you have the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali over here, you have the Bhagavad Gita, you have the Hatha Yoga Pratapika, and then this is a great list to look at in terms of just kind of familiarizing yourself with some of the modern yoga teachers. There's Krishnamacharya, who is very often thought of as kind of the father of modern yoga. Um, Swami Sivananda, many Sivananda yoga ashrams exist throughout the world. Um, and Swami Vivekananda. So some big names in terms of moving yoga into the modern era. But this graphic can really help you to gain a better understanding of the timeline and how things kind of relate to each other within the timeline. But the main idea that I want you to step away with is understanding that yoga is this form of spiritual practice that is very much rooted in yoga in um, India. And as yoga has gone through the years, the way that it is taught, the way that it is practiced has changed quite substantially. And it can be helpful to look at the different periods, the classical version of yoga, and how that has evolved into what maybe you have been exposed to today and kind of compare and contrast. Um, because some people get a little bit disillusioned when they are told by their teacher that what they are doing is this ancient 5,000 plus year old practice that comes from India. And then you kind of come to the realization one day that, oh, a lot of these practices are actually not ancient. They're actually from the 1900s and later that were added in. Um, and a lot of the kind of classic components of yoga were um, very different from what we might think that they are. So that's a hugely helpful learning process to go through. And it is definitely my hope that one day I will get to go to India to study that process in more depth. The um, pandemic and COVID has kind of put a damper on travel for quite a while, but one day I do hope to go to India myself so that I can gain a, a better understanding of this and share that with all of you. But I hope that gave you a better understanding of some of the kind of key historical factors in yoga throughout the ages. And I do encourage you to look deeper at yoga throughout history and see how it has changed, how it has evolved. All right, so I will leave you with this quote. I love quotes. There's a lot of quotes within the text. And this one says, true yoga is not about the shape of your body, but the shape of your life. Yoga is not to be performed, it is to be lived. Yoga doesn't care about what you have been. Yoga cares about the person you are becoming. Yoga is designed for a vast and profound purpose. And for it to be truly called yoga, its essence must be embodied. So that quote, I'm going to try to say this name and I hope I don't butcher it. Adil Palk Hivala. So that quote I love 
and I put into the manual because I feel like it conveys such an important idea, especially for those who are just coming into yoga and trying to understand what this is all about. That quote can be something that you can revisit over and over and over to understand the broader context of why we are doing this practice. Okay, I will see you in the next one where we're actually going to talk about the list of things that I recommend for people to start to go deeper into the practice of yoga. Thank you for being here on the Yoga Focus podcast. I'm Laura Gellner. If you would like to stay connected to more yoga resources, you can follow me on Instagram at Laura G Yoga. I have many YouTube videos at Laura Gellner, The Yoga Focus Method. And you can find links to my book, Yoga Therapy at the Wall, and all of my online courses at my website, lauragyoga.com. Thanks so much for being here.